Velocity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share in these podcasts. We want to share our love of horses and our fascination with training. So, Dominique, you were just telling me that you've had a bit of a challenge this week at the boarding barn, that there's some changes in the arena, that th- things were been left in the arena that the horses were not too sure about. And you've had to deal with some horses that are going, oh, those look like goblins and we don't want to go near. So, big, big goblins. Big goblins. Oh, yeah. This was a big, big change in the arena. And so it reminded me of a conversation we once had, which was, what's the best strategy when a horse spooks? Should we shape approaching the object step by step until the horse is comfortable with the distance, a uh, short distance between him and the object? Or should we take his mind off of whatever object and just work on some foundation lesson or something else to give him something else to do other than freak out. I've been kind of using both, but I thought it was an interesting conversation. I think we have to begin by saying, when you say what is the best approach, to say, well, there isn't a best approach. So it's always a study of one. Actually, it's a study of two because there are two individuals involved. There's the horse and the handler. And one of the questions becomes, what is in repertoire? And what are the handling skills that will allow you to be successful? So if I'm working with a horse who tends to be very jumpy about things in the environment, who's going to look at those strange things that are added to the arena, and I'm pretty sure if I had to predict that he's going to spook and jump, but I'm a novice handler and I don't have very many skills, then I might choose to work somewhere else. It's train where you can not where you can't until I have developed my skills and I've built up a larger repertoire in my horse. So in a sense, the answer for everyone goes back to, we want to be a constructional trainer. We want to build the skills before we have to use the skills. So before I'm confronting goblins and my horse is spooking and jumping into my space or hopefully around and out of my space, I want to build the skills both in his repertoire and in mine that will allow us to be successful. So that might mean that we go back and work on basic targeting and going to mats and working on the rope handling. And I might start with asking my horse with the basic targeting, a really fun lesson is to have him orient to things that I know would be easy for him. The lid off a supplement container, an empty water bottle, chop off a piece of a pool noodle and hold that up. You look around your barn and you'll find all kinds of things that work really well as targets. So I'll get him to generalize to orienting to these different objects. And then I'll start to add in some things that maybe aren't quite so common for him that he might look at first and go, 
oh, not so sure about that. One of the games that I love to play is 101 things that a handler can do while a horse stands on a mat. One way to play this is to gather up a whole lot of stuff. So you go around your barn and you collect all kinds of items. They have to be things that are safe to be around a horse. So nothing too sharp and nothing dangerous. But you might have a washcloth, sponge, buckets, empty plastic bags, empty water bottles. You just sort of visualize what goes out into your recycling bin every weekend and take some of that. An umbrella, a ball, you just start collecting stuff. And you look at it and some of it you'd say, oh, my horse isn't gonna be worried about that at all. And other things, maybe the umbrella might be something that, particularly if you popped it open really fast, might be something that initially your horse is gonna go, oh, oh, I don't do umbrellas, that looks really scary. So now you take the things that you think are gonna be a piece of cake, like a washcloth, and you're going to play the 101 things that a handler can do with a washcloth with a horse in the vicinity. And this is an exercise in creativity. So what could you do with a washcloth? You could have him orient to the washcloth. You could put it on the ground and have him put his foot on the washcloth. You could use it as a grooming tool. You could have him pick it up and retrieve it. You could have him wear it like a hat. You could put it on his back like a saddle pad. You just come up with as many different things that you could do with this object as you possibly can think of. And you click and treat the horse. Absolutely. So you are you are clicking and reinforcing as you're building all of these interactions. The idea is to simply have him orient to it like a target. The idea is to become more creative with it. You could have him target different body parts. So could he learn to back up so his tail touches the washcloth? That would be fun. Or his hip touches the washcloth. So you're just looking at what could I do with this object with my horse? So maybe you have a basketball. Well, what could a horse do? What could you do with a basketball? Well, you could have him stand on a mat while you dribble the basketball around him and you'd be clicking and reinforcing as needed. You could have him learn to push the basketball with his nose or with his foot. You could turn him into a soccer goal. If you can push the ball between his front feet and his back feet, you score, yay. And he gets, of course, a click and a treat and a carrot for that. So it's it's how many different things can you do with these objects? By the time you get to the scarier things, like the umbrella, they're a piece of cake because the horse has become so involved. You aren't just doing things to the horse, you're doing things with the horse. So sometimes you're dribbling the ball, but sometimes he's pushing the ball to you. You're playing a a little game of push the ball to me, I push the ball back to you, you send it back to me, all with a click and a treat. So you're getting the horse involved with manipulating things in his environment. And then you start looking at things that are in his environment that might be a bit of a worry. You start treating them very much like you did in this sort of touch the goblin game. And by the time you get to those scary things that are now spooking your horse, the horse regards them as a game. And you've both built skills and you've broadened out his repertoire. So one of the things you may have been teaching him through all of this is 
that when he's afraid of something, when he's worried by something, that he can stand on a mat and drop his head instead of running to the other end of the arena. You've broadened out his repertoire. You've shown him how to interact with the environment. The environment now is, instead of it being something that's scary, it's something that produces clicks and treats and fun entertainment. So it becomes enrichment, not goblins. I think one of the things that a handler needs to be aware of, though, in these exercises is not putting the animal in a conflict between a hard and a, a rock, you say in English? A, a rock, a rock and a hard place. You say in English, right. is the expression. Because you see that uh, sometimes where people are using tarp on their horse's back and you can see how the horse is kind of tolerating it but right. it's not relaxed and may stay there because there's going to be a click in a treat but that's not what you're looking for you're no. looking for relaxation Something... I, I like liberty i yeah. like the fact that if a horse wants to go away he can whereas when you you're doing exercises like this in hand is a different thing because there's no escape I feel that when you're doing work with scary things, escape is always an important thing to give to the horse, the possibility of saying, uh-uh, too scary for me, I'm going right. away. And then they choose to come back. That's really why I like turning it into this playful creativity game and where you're starting with things where that the horse really is not concerned about. You're showing him all these different ways that he can interact with these objects so that as the object becomes more complex, scarier, he really does look at it as, oh, just another game, something more that is entertaining rather than something that is fear-inducing. Like, oh, look at what my human um, invented today yes. for my enjoyment. Yes. And so, they're, they're, but, but they're so too... the horse is always under threshold, very right. important. This right. is not flooding or anything of the No, sort. and there, there are a couple of, there are two. Like opening the umbrella, for me, I would start by opening it very uh, softly before I really let it go, so that it's a, it's a process where they get used to it, and so by the time you let it open naturally, the horse doesn't care anymore. Right, and, and, I, would, and I wouldn't even start with the umbrella. So it, it's something that, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz got me thinking about really clearly that if I'm afraid to touch um, what's sitting in front of me, if I'm sitting afraid to, to touch a computer, but you say to me, I will give you $50 if you will touch the computer. Well, $50 touching the computer, that, that'll buy a fair amount of hay. So yes, I will touch the computer and if you'll give me the $50. It doesn't change how I feel about the computer, but for that, I will do it. But in the absence of that $50, I'm going to avoid the computer because it hasn't really done anything to the underlying fear. And that's the piece that we have to be really mindful about. Are we patching something up? Is it just a quick way to get past, oh, say something, they've left something out on the way back from turnout and you just need to get from point A to point B and you'll deal with getting your horse, familiarizing him with this object 
but right now you just need to get him in because there's a thunderstorm coming. But you haven't really done anything about the underlying concern. And that's where we need to be careful when we're constructing these lessons that we're not fooling ourselves into thinking that the horse is okay because he has gone up and touched the umbrella for a click and a treat, but actually he's really uncertain. His, his whole body is saying, I'm out of here as soon as I've touched Right, him. right. And, and that's, you know, you're building your training on really thin ice. But then the other story that this comes to mind is when you're working with your animals, especially in our quiet barns, my barn is very quiet, which I like. It's easy for it to become so quiet that nothing really ever changes. And when something does change, it then is much more of a distraction, much more of a problem for the horses. Big so, winds, big, big thunderstorms. Yeah, it's spring. Maybe a trash bag from the neighbors has blown into their paddock. And now they're all going, oh, that's really scary. Or is it just, yeah, that's right, that's right. So what Ken always said when he was at the Shed Aquarium and he wants Ken Ramirez. Ken Ramirez, yes, thank you. The director of training at the Shed Aquarium, he would tell his young trainers that every day he wanted them to have some little new novel distraction for the dolphins. So there was always something that was a little different. So the way that can describe this is if a tornado came through and ripped the roof off the aquarium that the dolphins would just look up and go oh look what entertaining thing the trainers have done for us today and I've always loved that image so one of the things that makes for good training practice is to be thinking about well, what are some of the little distractions some some things that I can put out that make the arena, make the their paddock, make their turnout, just look a little different today so that the horses become accustomed to change. One yeah. of my coaches, Jane Jackson, wrote a yeah, great, yeah, a great article where she yeah. made this her project for a period of time. So every day, and she set, she set an alarm on her clock to remind her that every day she had to set out a new distraction for the horses. So great, great idea and exercise to do. There, there are lots of befores. I think that's in terms of the answer to the question of well, what's the best strategy. Well, in the moment of the spook, you have to deal with it the best you can. If a pheasant has jumped out of the bushes and startled the horse and he's spooking, you just have to deal with it so that both of you are safe, you regroup, and then you think about, well, what are all the befores that I need to put in place? What are some of the skills that I would like to have? If I have a horse on a lead, do I have the rope handling, that Tai Chi rope handling, so that I can redirect the horse's energy in a way that keeps us both safe, but that does not harm the relationship by being a correction. If the horse is loose and he jumps, do I have a way of recalling him back to me and maybe finding a mat and letting him drop his head? What do I need in repertoire? What are the befores that come before I'm ready to head out into 
an environment of novelty. When I do head out into an environment that's full of novelty, does my horse have a repertoire that allows him to handle it and remain both safe and enthusiastically enjoying that environment? And this repertoire, of course, distance may make it very different because you may be able to perform all the lessons at 40 feet, but not at 10 feet. There are many variables that you can play with because in this particular case, the spooky things were, and there were lots of them, were at the far end of the arena, which is always, all the horses I've known, is always kind of the scariest place in the arena, is always the right, far end. Right. And so there were all these things at the far end, and the horses were fine if we were in the front of the arena, but you could feel the tension increasing as we would approach. And so you may want to work on some of the exercises at a certain distance and slowly increasing this distance. And you also want to think about how much and how long this is going to be. Are you going to spend five minutes on this or are you going to spend 15 minutes on this? Right. And the horses will tell you. So they will tell you always, always your learner will tell you what he's comfortable with, what he needs for you to work on, whether he's ready for a particular lesson. I'd love to share a story from one of my visits up to the retirement farm that happened very early on. I was working with Bonanza, one of the three horses that you have. And in the Cavalia show, you have the stilters. They're phenomenal. They they look like fun. These, they allow you to just go boinging across the ground in these great heights. So you, so it's sort of like stilts with springs, I guess That's is the right. way to describe them. And the acrobats who use we them... We call them urban stilters. Urban stilters. Okay. Yeah. And the <laughs> acrobats can jump over some really huge jumps. You had a, a new acrobat who was, was used to working on pavement, but not the footing that would be in the Cavalia show. So he was at the barn with one of the other acrobats learning how to use these stilts on the footing that's in the arena. So they are in half the arena and they're setting up the gymnastics so they can jump higher and higher and higher. And it was fascinating because the gymnastics were the same that we would be setting up for horses, starting with basically little cross rails and then and a whole series of cavalettis and then finally ending up with these really high jumps. And we were working the horses in the other side of the arena. And a couple of the horses, I know, they were new to the barn. They would never have seen any of these acrobats. And they were totally la-di-da about it. So you had these humans who were bunging along the ground, sometimes leaping. Like kangaroos. Yeah, like kangaroos and leaping six, seven, eight feet into the air. And apparently, from a horse's perspective, that is a perfectly normal thing for a human to do. That leaping up into the air and coming back down again was perfectly okay. Not spooky at all. Unless they fell. And then they found them really alarming. So these stilters are, are working in their half of the arena. The horses are working in the other half. And then they went away and they put a, what was it? It was a 
shavings bag up against the side of the arena wall and a horse walked over towards it and did this huge jump back of, oh, well, that was the biggest goblin they had ever seen. They just could not deal with the shavings bag. Stilters, yes. Shavings bags, no. So horses are just funny creatures like that. They will show you what they are perfectly comfortable with. They will show you what they need more work with. And always it's a study of one. Yes. Very yeah. important to remember this. Yes. Yeah. Whatever your other horse was doing, this one is not the same individual. That's right. And whatever your horse was doing last fall, this spring, he may be doing something. Well, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about your comment when you said that you were surprised that Bonanza was taking a little bit more time settling in because you knew him as being so brave. And I thought, well, you know, he was brave in a familiar environment, but this is a new environment. Yes. So we have to look at him now. And this is the danger, I guess, of labels like when we use words like brave or sometimes they may not be helpful because you have to look at your horse now in this environment and develop a plan for this horse right now in here. Yes. Yes. And we often get that in clinics where people will say, oh, he never does that at home. It's like, of well, course. <laughs> yes, but he's doing it here. He's doing it now. And so all we can do is work on work with the horse who's in front of us. And that's where, in a sense, sometimes it's a huge advantage to be the clinician because I have no emotional investment in that particular horse. So it's it's not, but I've spent the last three years getting him so that he's comfortable doing whatever it is. And I haven't seen this behavior in years, not since he was a three-year-old. But there it is. You're getting a regression. There's that behavior. And all of the emotional, the, the, the that as a handler, as the owner, you've got all of your emotions wrapped up in it. And it's so much easier when you can just say, well, it's what's being presented today. This is what we're going to deal with. It's just a little bit of regression and not to worry. Oh, it's, it's, it's regression, but it's also you're stacking stressful things yes, one you are. over another. Yep. And that's something we might want to talk in a future yeah. podcast because you can have one stressful stimuli, but when you start adding one over the other, you'll just get over threshold. That's right. And clinics, you're piling things one over the others. Well, the horse is away from home, and that's the biggest stressor right there. Usually, whatever we're doing during the formal training time, the horses are really comfortable with. But what they may not be comfortable with is the change in living conditions. If you have a horse who's used to being turned out with his herd, and now he's in a stall or a small paddock, or even if he's turned out in a pasture at the, at the clinic location is not his pasture with his friends. So, yeah, and then it's after how many hours of traveling. I yeah. mean, it takes time to settle down from that. Too. Yes, yes. Mm. And often it's a good thing because it shows what some of the underlying pieces are that we can work on and strengthen, and that always makes things better. So it's, it's that going back into small details which actually, this is a great place to end this podcast because 
I'd love to share with you some of the work that I presented at one of the conferences this year. And Ooh, I would love to hear yeah, that. Yeah, and, and it's all about breaking things down in, into these really small pieces and going back into what are essentially very simple lessons, but with an eye for detail that changes them dramatically. So rather than start that here, let's do the the teaser of saying we're going to end here and we'll talk about it in our next podcast. I can't wait. Excellent. Bye. We want to share a quick update on our horses. In our previous podcast, Train Where You Can, we talked about how you can transform grass from a major distraction into a reinforcer. To accompany that podcast, we posted an article in the members section of the Equiosity website that provided some how-to instructions for teaching good grass manners. In the department of practicing what you preach, the article inspired Dominique to work on the grazing manners of her three horses. Dominique, you shared with me that Woody was already really good. You've been working with him the longest and he understands polite grass manners. But you haven't had Pico and Bonanza that long. This is the first spring the three of you have been together, so this is a whole new challenge. Would you like to share what happened after you read the article? I have been putting the grazing instructions from the article into practice. I was amazed at Pico. He was such a gentleman, not dragging me, waiting for my cue to put his head down and bringing his head back up when I asked him to. As for Bonanza, he made good progress and I suspect this exercise might actually help calm him down while discovering new areas of the farm. Woody knew the exercise from previous years, so he was a champ right away. These instructions are really excellent, Alex. It's very interesting when you see the moment they understand that not going for the grass will produce the grass. It takes away their need to steal it. It's also a great illustration of what we've discussed during the webinar. When you want to change an unwanted behavior, you first have to understand the purpose of that behavior. In this case, it's pretty straightforward. The horse wants to get to the grass and graze. And I think we can all agree that this is a pretty legitimate thing for a horse to want. After all, they are first and foremost a grazing animal. The second part of a plan to modify an unwanted behavior is to build the skills that will allow a horse to behave for the same purpose, but in an appropriate way, and that is exactly what those instructions allow us to do. If you have a horse who is dragging you to grass and you'd like to do something about it, you can read the article in the members section of the equiosity.com website. If you aren't yet a member, it's easy to join. Just go to the website, scroll down to the members section, and fill in the subscription form. We'll send you back the members login information. And while you're there, you'll see that we're planning another webinar. It's scheduled for June 30th at 1.30 Eastern Time. We're really excited about this webinar. We have a special guest who will be joining us. We'll give you more details in our next podcast. So until next time, happy grazing!